Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So we are going to be starting out the new year, 2022, with a conversation that I am very much looking forward to. We're going to be talking with Lucy Butler. Lucy is a high school teacher. I met Lucy, we met last summer in one of my virtual clinics. And I think it was in, uh, the clinic was in July or early August, and you were talking about um, your upcoming school year. And I said to you, you really should come to science camp. There's so much, you know, the, the this whole discussion of constructional training and the approach that we take um, would be really useful, not just for what you want to do with your horse, but absolutely for what you want to do for, for your, your, your school uh, program and, and what you're doing with the population of students that you're working with. And you, you actually listened and you attended science <laughs> camp. And one of the things that was really fun about Science Camp is it connected you to uh, Dr. Claire St. Peter's, and you've been having just a glorious year. So without any more introduction than that, I would like to skip what we normally do, which is have (laughs) you talk about your horse background and your horse. And and I want to go straight to what you've been doing with your students, because and part of the reason for this, and then I'll then I'll stop talking. Uh, you know, I've always said that the clicker training, the positive reinforcement training that we are learning is not just for our horses, but it's for the ripple through all of our lives, mm-hmm. whether that's in with our family, with our coworkers, you know, whatever it is, it's that ripple into our whole way of moving in the world. And I think that that's really important. And the opportunity to be a connector and to sort of bring people together who can move ideas forward is really important. And this celebration of focusing on success rather than looking at what we're culturally trained to look at, which is failure, is so important. So that being said, Last August, what were you looking ahead to in the school year? What were the students that you were going to be working with? What were your plans at that point? And then how did all of that become expanded as you connected with Claire? Sure. So, well, first I should say that, you know, as you're recounting that, Alex, it really uh, gave me pause to think about what a life-changing moment that was when you said, you know, you should really come to science camp and, you know, not just my life-changing, but I, I'm, as I'll, I'll get into a little bit about the students I'm working with, I have uh, 13 kids for whom it's really, um, I really believe it's really changed their lives and, and hopefully will, you know, impact others. So, yes. um, so what a life-changing moment <laughs> to go to science camp, that opportunity. But yes, so going into uh, this school year, um, you know, we are just coming out of the COVID year that for educators and for students has 
was just, you know, so fraught and so difficult. And I had actually, um, I, I should say I'm a special educator, high school special educator. And uh, during the previous school year, I had, uh, in order to keep my job because of COVID's impact on staffing, I had been bounced into social studies, which was an interesting experience in and of itself. I had 235 students to teach wow. that year. And, um, you know, really, I always say education in this country is a factory model. And it was really a chance for me to be back in that situation, experience that. So I was coming out of that year. And of course, it was half virtual and all of the challenges that, um, you know, I think people are hearing about um, in the broader uh, culture they're hearing from educators. Um, but coming into this year, I was delighted to have the opportunity to be back in special ed. And um, I found out from my supervisor that she had a special task for me, which is that I was going to be given um, all of the students who had failed uh, last, last school year, their freshman year. And I had this task of trying to support them this year and sort of get them like ramped back up, build their skills back up and um, really try to help them be successful. So, you know, taking these, these kids that had really uh, suffered a lot the previous year and try to be maybe their, their, um, their life ring <laughs> for, yes. for the school year. So yeah. coming into, yeah, coming into the, uh, into August, I, I think I had maybe just found out that this was going to be my, my special task for the school year. And then I was uh, trying to get my, my last uh, huzzahs in before the end of summer and was taking a virtual clinic with Alex and, you know, enjoying um, this sort of deep dive into the world of positive reinforcement. Um, so, so that was my, yeah. my moment. <laughs> you know, it's making me, as you talk about the students, these, the students who are the repeaters who failed the freshman year. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, this, you're talking about, if we equate that to horses, so we can make that link to people. If you were talking about horses, these would be the, the horses that you get from places like the horse rescues and so on that have yeah. failed miserably in figuring out how to uh, cope with humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like the students who failed miserably at coping with school or virtual school, you know, and some of them are just really sensitive, you know, just like we think about with the horses, a very sensitive just sensitive, you know, constitution or, um, but yeah, really, I, I think about that a lot, actually, <laughs> similarities. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that uh, a lot of the horses that we get, they've had just the, the training background that they come from, the way that they have been cared for in the past is, mm -hmm. is not good. And you're, I'm sure is that similar also with the some of the children that you were getting. That... Definitely. And I, I think a lot about um, that they have a reinforcement history of failure. That's what they were coming to me with is this, their reinforcement history is that they have failed and failed and failed. You know, for, for a student, some of them I subsequently learned in, you know, middle school, they were stronger students and they hit high school. I mean, what a, what a year to hit high school, to be a freshman in high school is that 2020 where, you know, you're all on Zoom or partially on Zoom. And these are 
they're freshmen, they're babies. They're, some of them are 13, 14 years old. I mean, they're, they're very young, but to have failed an entire year, I had some of them, um, I worked a lot with their grade points to kind of get data to see how they're doing. And some of them literally had zeros. Um, they, they didn't earn, they didn't earn any credits that year. So big, big, uh, Serious <laughs> reinforcement. So huge so they're they're yeah. about to be lost completely. Yep. Yep. Yeah, definitely. They, they, you know, and then they begin to identify, I think, with that. There's a, a you know, and I, I think about this with animals too. I don't think they would have quite the same capacity to build that ego structure, but for humans, that's part of that you know, part of our frontal lobe that we start constructing an identity. And it's particularly powerful at this age, developmental stage that, that, you know, teen, young teen is there's a lot of um, construction of identity going on. So this is being woven into their construction of self. And that that's pretty devastating because it's, because it really is fabricated. You know, we, we don't have to adopt that kind of view of oneself if, if that's not, you know, that, that if, if there's a way to change that in their experience, yes. they don't yep. have to, <laughs> they don't have to view themselves as a failure or an academic failure or something right. like that. That is, that is absolutely a creation. I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought of it in that way. So in August, you were beginning to think along the lines of how, how am I going to structure the initial training? And, and some of your goals and your, and you had some really wonderful goals in terms of what you wanted to achieve. Yeah. I, you know, I, we were in the clinic, the virtual clinic with you, Alex, and you had said something about how, how many people start off on their journey of horse ownership um, with this aspiration. I want to be my horse's best friend and I want to have this, you know, epic relationship with my horse. And then they, you know, many of us get into situations of frustration or dismay or even heartbreak when, you know, things aren't progressing the way we want. And it really hit home for me. I thought about how many of us start into school. I mean, you can just picture it and maybe you have your own experiences of this. You start into school and you're little and you just like, yeah, I love going to school and I love my teacher and I'm coming home with all my things that get put on the refrigerator. And, you know, most small children love school. And then, you know, usually around fourth grade that you see it, third grade, sometimes earlier, you start to see this um, uh, joy diminishing for, for people. And so I started to think about, you know, that, that aspiration, is there a way to bring some joy back to these students? Is there a way to help them reverse that reinforcement history? And, and rekindle that spark, you know, most importantly around learning. And, and I'm thinking about it too, in terms of how I, I was thinking about how, you know, I go to work and I work with my kids and then I get to the farm where I keep my horse and I just love clicker training my horse. And she loves, you know, she sees me coming like, you know, many, many of your students and I hear on the podcast, yeah. people talk about, oh, I'm going out to see my horse and my horse is so happy to see me and she's nickering and she's like that, that little child going into kindergarten who's so excited, you know, to be learning. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, why, why is it that work and, and working with students at this level can be such a drag? Why does it have to be, uh, have that energy uh, when, 
when these other learning environments are so joyful and positive and fun. And, and so then I sort of selfishly started thinking like, how could I just extend my, my afternoon, bleed my afternoon into my workday? <laughs> yes. And, and that's when I said, you should go to science camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because you wanted, you wanted these students to succeed. And you also had voiced that you wanted to develop a program that could mm -hmm. be expanded beyond yes. just this, this small cohort of students that you were working with. Yeah, I, I think in previously, I think of clicker training, and this is maybe why in my, you know, personal practice in life, it sort of got relegated to the farm and to working with my dogs is I think of just, I'm working one-on-one -on -one and at, at professionally, I work in a classroom and as a special educator, I have a smaller classroom. I usually have like five students and, and this year I in particular, was given a very large cohort of kids. I started with 17, and then I ended wow. up with 13. And so I think I hadn't really um, made the leap because I wasn't sure how you, how you do that. How do you scale up? And how do you apply the principles um, in a classroom? But that, I mean, and I'm still exploring this, but it, it, it's been amazing. It's, it's been, um, that's been half the fun is thinking about puzzling through what are the principles and what are the, the procedures that I would be using when I'm working one-on-one -on -one and how do I think about them creatively and apply them to my classroom. And, and every classroom is different. So I think every educator would have to go through that, that process, but I think we do that as clicker trainers to some degree too, always trying to come back to our principles and see how they're applied in our environment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So science camp was transforming. So what, what did you, what sort, what were some of the concepts and ideas that you took from science camp that began to shape the beginnings of your uh, of, of your program going into the school year? Well, I was really thinking a lot about the environment itself of the classroom. Reinforcers was a big, big piece in my mind as I was leaving science camp. And I think I was getting a little hung up on the tangible, like, how will I reinforce? And, and I and the tangible has actually been helpful because I do uh, use some, some actual tangible reinforcers and rewards. Um, but one thing that um, Claire, Dr. Claire St. Peter said to me was the most powerful reinforcer is success. Um, yeah. So, so that, that, and that has um, been absolutely a principle that is held completely true. I think I spent a lot of time thinking about pathologizing in a pathological model versus a constructional and positive model. And that's been a lot of work on myself, like really watching when I'm sliding into a pathological lens and how to flip it, how to get back to the constructional lens. And yeah, and thinking about environment, so, so we talked a lot about how we can use the power of the environment, changing the environment to create new habits and new loops. And, and you know, I'm only halfway through the school year. 
at this point. So, so as it's unfolded and I've sort of looked back at what, what has happened, you know, since the end of August, beginning of September to now, and then I look forward, I'm thinking about how to go deeper into some of those principles. Cause I feel like I've just scratched the surface. <laughs> right. Well, this, this is sort of a, definitely an interim report. This is just uh, <laughs> sort of the first, Oh, look what, look what's going on in this one particular <laughs> school, this uh, wonderful experience that's happening for these students. So the pathological versus the constructional lens, I think is one that needs to be expanded a little bit. So the, in brief terms, the pathological, we're looking at what's wrong, what, what can be corrected. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, and often we're trying to suppress unwanted behavior. And then in the constructional, we're looking at what is the behavior that we want to create and what are the what is currently in repertoire that will help us get there and what are the components that are not yet in repertoire that we need to teach. Um, that's sort of very brief in a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell. But, you know, and, and I really shouldn't generalize and make general statements about school because, you know, my I'm referring back to my school experiences, and I dare say schools have changed a little bit since I was in high school. Yes, you're making a face saying I don't <laughs> think so. Um, probably, they, if anything, I think they've probably gotten worse because of the testing. Yeah, if anything, it's gotten worse. And and one of the reasons that I wanted to uh, have you join us was because I know I've known so many teachers over the years who are literally counting down the days until they can retire. And five, six, ten years out, they're counting down the days until they can retire. And what a grim way to go through life. And you sound so joyful now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's quite a study of contrasts. Um, you know, when I'm in my classroom where I have control over the environment and, you know, and, and I'm applying these principles, these positive reinforcement principles. And then I go, I, I also co-teach with, with other teachers in the building as the special educator in the classroom. And I see the sort of more traditional approach being applied and and I would say that there's just a lot of teachers who get institutionalized to mm. that. And if you are spending your day in that pathological mindset or sort of policing all the time, you, you can just see the toll it takes on people. You know, we always joke with educators, it's not like we got into it for the fame and the big bucks. And, you know, um, you know, most people are drawn to it because they enjoy helping other human beings. They love learning. They love their subject area. They want to share it. They want to connect. I think right. that's, that's a huge part of it is like enjoying relationships and there's less and less time for it because of testing. There's all this pressure on teachers to correct, to fix, you know, we're, we're supposed to be fixing all the time. So that that pathological model, whether or not educators call it that or administrators or policymakers call it that, that's just like coloring everything. I've been thinking a lot about how that model is so much like uh, pressure and release of pressure and how there's only so much pressure <laughs> and release of pressure. 
yeah <laughs> that, that any organism can handle <laughs> so I, this has been my new lens lately i've been walking through the building going oh pressure and what does pressure and release of pressure make most of us want to do run away <laughs> so. especially when the release is never really a true release right right even or, the, or or that it's inconsistent yes yeah, yes I, I suppose that, you know, we've we've talked on the podcast a few times that when there's a learner and a teacher, it should be each, each one's objectives should be fulfilled. It should be reinforcing for both. And obviously, in some cases, maybe some teachers feel, and, and we all know that control is very important part of... Um, enjoying the learning, feeling that you're not out of control. And I suppose that some teachers may feel that they have no control over what's happening in their classroom, over policies, over content. I don't know. I'm not sure, but that it feels like that a little bit. Oh, definitely. I, I hear that a lot, actually. That's a common uh, staff room uh, complaint <laughs> mm. <laughs> is, is feeling that lack of control. And right. yeah, I think there's some people that get if some educators, they're getting their positive reinforcement out of enjoying their discipline and maybe the creativity of what they get to present. And that's getting eroded more and more and more. You know, here, in, I'm in Rhode Island. Um, we're about to introduce, a, a, it's, a, it's been passed as policy um, and it's being rolled out in schools where we have to adopt a curriculum that's just standard across the state and some of these curriculums are going to be scripted and I know for some of my colleagues that'll just you know that they're, they're they're either gonna like leave you know or they're gonna be off script right. <laughs> so, so we'll see what kinds of unintentional behaviors the, the department of ed gets out of that one mm. <laughs> so you you stand in front of a classroom and just read okay. yeah yeah, and the curriculum that the exercises, the activities, the actual uh, learning experience, the the teaching process will be canned. It'll be handed to to the teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about the impact on the educators who maybe derive some of their positive reinforcement from that creative process. But then you also think about the impact on the students. If we're talking about you know constructional design it doesn't take into consideration what might be in or out of repertoire for the, for the kids. And, you know, so. So you talked before about success being an important reinforcer, and we certainly see that in our horses, you know, for when, when they, when you have a clean loop and they have the right, they know the answer. You can see, you know, how enthusiastic they they become. And when they don't have the answer, sometimes they just disengage. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that in our horses, too. So oh, I assume, I, so it's been something that guided you in your project to make sure that they are experiencing success through clean loops? Or how did you do that? <laughs> uh, well, so this is pretty interesting because I, I think I mentioned I came out of science camp thinking about reinforcers. And I I was thinking really, really, my approximation was exactly that kind of rudimentary. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna get a candy basket and I'm gonna get a sticker basket. And I, you know, 
I'm teaching at the high school level, but the kids are really into these vinyl stickers that they put like on their water bottles and their laptops. So I was really thinking like click and treat <laughs> something. <laughs> um, and I, I asked the kids, what are, what are your favorite shows you watch? What are your favorite anime? They love anime. And I got these stickers that correspond to their interests. Um, so, so they are, and I, I, I still use these, you know, um, so I kind of started the year with just like, if I caught a kid doing something great, you get a sticker and, and they, they wanted them, they liked them, but what ended up happening was sort of interesting in my own learning process too, watching how I got into a pathological mindset or, you know, I mean, I came through the American education system too. So it's, it's right. cultural, my, my kind of pathological lens and learning to replace that. So, so in this class that I run, it's a, um, it's an academic support class. So I'm also not teaching any one specific skill, which is another challenge. I'm supporting these, uh, it ended up being 13 kids, 13 kids who are in six other academic classes. And my job is to like basically help them get their work done. And then if I needed to go back and rebuild a skill, I could do that on the spot. And so one of the tools that's typically used in academic support would be just their grades. We look at their grades all the time. And that you could say that that skill would be self-monitoring and goal setting. Um, and and I can't, there's so many rabbit holes I could go down because it's definitely a poison cue for these kids to look at their grades. <laughs> so I had some work I had to do with that too. So one of the things that happened probably, I don't know, four or five weeks, maybe five weeks into this the quarter is the kids are kind of chugging along and um, we're doing well, they're getting work done and we're using our, our stickers for our reinforcers or candy and trying to celebrate success and using the time well. And um, I'm looking at their grades. I would do these grade checks every Monday and every Friday with them. I just had a whole group of kids tank in their English class. Just everybody suddenly, you know, went boom, failing. Oh, what's that all about? So um, I came in on Monday and I had highlighted in everybody's grade sheet you're failing English, <laughs> a very pathological <laughs> moment for me. And what are we going to do to fix it? And I spent that week trying to get these kids through. It was one assignment that everybody had. Um, and when I went and looked at the assignment, it was, it was clear to me what happened. It was really complex with lots of pieces to it. And I think most of them just didn't even know where to start and needed to be broken down. And during the week, I was trying to sort of uh, support them through the assignment, scaffold, you know, so thin slice it, get them there. And their morale just tanked, the motivation tanked. They disengaged completely. And I started to lose ground in all the other classes too. They just literally were like turning off like little light switches. And the harder I was pushing on that assignment, the worse it was getting. I had kids with their heads down on the desk that previously had been upright and, you know, going along. And, you know, so I finally had this moment. I was, I've been working with a couple of um, Claire's students who are coaching me. Um, they're they're uh, PhDs themselves and, and teaching at a couple of different universities. And 
I was talking with them, uh, you know, oh, look what happened. This, this thing happened. And they said, you know, it's too bad you can't go back to something easier where the students could have experienced success. And I am not the, the English teacher, so I couldn't go back. But it gave me this pause. I was, I was actually like stuck in traffic driving home and all of a sudden the light bulb went on. I engineered that. I went right for the failures. I highlighted the failure and then I just kept pushing at it. And, and I realized like, I can't do that anymore. I need to start focusing 100% on their success. If they raise a grade by one point, we're gonna celebrate it. So that became the sort of backbone for the classroom and the, the place where the positive reinforcement has been the most powerful. So I put together these folders and in each folder, every Monday, every Friday, they get their grade sheet and I only highlight point increases. Mm. And then I will sometimes put a little like horizontal arrow if they're really close to a gap in a grade, like, you know, most importantly, if they're going to, if they could go from a F to a C, we don't have Ds at the school where I teach. And sometimes they're only three points away. I would put, look, you're only three points away. So we started just, you know, ignoring the Fs and only looking at their places where they were successful. And then I started putting this up um, and projecting it on, in the classroom on the screen every Monday and Friday. So-and-so raised their um, three classes by three, five, and 15 points, you know, hooray. And that was so incredibly powerful for these kids. Forget the sticker basket, forget the candy. <laughs> they mm -hmm. just... They, were, they would get up and take pictures with their phone and send it to their you know, mom or their cousin or whoever. Look, I'm on the board, I, I got points. And, and that just started to re-engage them mm -hmm. um, when, when it actually just became about winning and success and being fundamentally okay. And the thing that's really blown my mind is I, I assumed that a lot of these kids, I would start working with them and I would discover some major underlying skill gaps and that, that has not been the case. The biggest skill gap was engagement. So for example, one of the kids that uh, last year, you know, again, all of these kiddos were repeaters. They failed completely their freshman year and they're redoing it. Um, one of them has a 3.7 GPA right now and is just, I don't know if Dominique, if that no, <laughs> translates. So basically he has all A's and one B. Oh, um, okay. So this is a kid who has tremendous capacity to do well. And, you know, once we got him going and just focused on that, like you can do this, he, he's just doing it. So, you know, I was, I was really shocked by that. I thought I would need to go back. And part of the reason these kiddos were failing is that they, you know, were really struggling in math or something. And by and large, it's just been that they, I think, had, had just disengaged in a major way. It's great because they're actually experiencing being competent. You know, yes. it's not just someone saying, you can do this. You are experiencing being competent. I can upgrade, you know, I can gain some points. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that that is really important to me is that they know that they're they are actually the ones who are. I, I'm just have created an environment where we're just putting the lens of the attention on the success. 
and then trying to replace that reinforcement history so they can start to replace that view of themselves. And, and I'm trying to message that all the time. You're doing this. You're the one who's going out and gaining the points. And you're the one who's engaging in class and thinking about school um, in a way that I, I always tell them school is a game. And it's particularly powerful analogy for kids this age because they play a lot of video games, you know, so it's a game. It's not, it doesn't define who you are as a human being. It doesn't tell you your value. It's just a game. Just go in and play and you, you can play and you can learn how to play it. So, um, and, and as you said, they're the ones who are demonstrating the competency. Uh, it's not anything magical other than the environment. <laughs> yeah, answer. and you you have to engineer that for them. Yeah. You have to make the environment easy enough for them to have that success. And Yeah. So do you have some uh, more examples of um, how you arrange the environment to make this happen for them? Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, I think... Uh, like we talk about with our with our horses or our animal learners, you know, relationship is super important. So we actually spend some time um, feeding them. <laughs> we have we have um, breakfast sometimes together with the students. I have a couple of other adults who are in the room with me. They're not there every day, but they come in to help. One is a social worker, and the other is another special educator. So about once a week, we'll usually have a breakfast together where we're just enjoying each other's company you know, safely, safely dining with COVID off to the side, but we bring in toasters and we have bagels and cream cheese. And this started because um, we have a busing, we had a busing shortage, we're still dealing with it. And a lot of the kids were coming in really late because the buses were late because there weren't enough bus drivers. They would miss the free breakfast that a lot of my students rely on and they were coming hungry. So we started, <laughs> we started feeding them. Um, and that's been really powerful just, just to, you know, take the time to not have to be like, you know, like we would with our horses. Again, like you go out and you spend a little time with them in the pasture or you just do something where you're not asking anything of them. You're just being present. Um, so, so we do that. We also play Uno together, <laughs> which is another reinforcer that they love the social connection. And right now, Uno is really hot with teenagers. So I did not know that. I just thought it was an easy card game that we could all play. And it, it turns out it's really popular. So that's that's something we do. And then sort of like mid, mid uh, first semester, I started to experiment with goal setting with the students. So, you know, we we talk about when we're working with our with our learners, kind of picturing their big picture and our end in mind and what our outcome would look like. And then we sort of work backwards. I'm trying to teach them to do that for themselves. So we spent a good amount of time when we went into quarter two, uh, developing a realistic goal and then breaking it down into what are the steps we can take, you know, to move towards that. And I'm, I'm, Reading right now, uh, some reading that um, Jesus recommended at science camp, the mini habits. Uh, so I've been, I've been using the mini habits to try to, and teaching them the mini habits. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've, that has come to my uh, aid so many times. I've had kids who are having grumpy mornings and didn't want to do something. And I'd say, well, look, all you have to do is take that out, that folder out and set it down or open it on your computer. And you don't have to do anything else. 
And then sure enough, they'll get it out and they'll they'll start working on it. <laughs> For people who haven't uh, heard of the book, the, the, yeah. because I, I've gone through, we we had, who was it? I mean, um, we had a guest, uh, Alex, who suggested uh, this book. It may have been Michaela. I don't no, remember. No, it wasn't no. Michaela. It was, um, um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Doesn't but matter. basically the book, the idea is to help us create good habits. You have to set goals that are so easy, so mm -hmm. small that you cannot fail to do them every day. It is like, I think in the book, the author gives the example that they wanted to become more uh, physically active. And so their goal was to do one push-up a day. Mm -hmm. And eventually it became, and you can, you can overshoot, you can do more than one, but if you do one, you've reached your goal for the day. And so in this whole book that he explains why mini habits are the way to build habits, the like unfailing way to build habits. And it's a good book to read actually, because January 1st and all the new year resolutions <laughs> that go down the drain three weeks later, so, um, <laughs> it's probably a good time to, um, to get acquainted with that book. But I, I've, thought, I, I've enjoyed that book too. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's really powerful to teach the kids that it, teaching them in some ways, some of the, some of what we know from behavior analysis and, and, you know, so teaching them to just take, take little chunks and, but, but I, you know, I use that, I'll, I'll pair it with a tangible reinforcer, like, you know, all you have to do today is take out that assignment you're dreading and set it on the desk. If you can get it out of your backpack and then you'll get a sticker for a kid who, you know, is, is it's 745 in the morning, it's Monday, they're at school, they're 14 years old, <laughs> they're having a moody moment, and they don't want to do something that is so powerful. And, and sometimes it just stops with they got the assignment out. And that was success for the day. And uh, because it because if I tried to do it, the sort of traditional way, of applying the pressure or force or and I tried some kind of other or an aversive if you don't take it out something will happen um I just I'm not going to get anywhere so you know that's another way that you know if you really look at it in terms of our principles of of positive reinforcement that's how that's how it's showing up in the classroom and then you know I, I had a student all the same conditions, 7.45 in the morning, grumpy Monday, I don't want to do the work, I'm going to dig in. And she got it out. And then she was like, you know what, I'll do it. And then we got to like really click, you know, <laughs> metaphorical click, and really make a big deal about it socially in the classroom. So I'll use that a lot too. This is the power of the group, which is really amazing, is pointing out with really specific feedback, hey, look, so-and-so didn't want to do this assignment and was having feelings <laughs> about it. And they they used a mini, used a mini habit, a mini loop, took it out, and ended up doing the assignment and now is going to gain those points. And let's all give her a round of applause and you know cheer her on. So extra little you know dopamine hit when when the whole class you know cheers. So we we use that whole class reinforcer too. And how are your colleagues reacting? Are they aware or what's the reaction around you? Yeah, so I had reinforcer for me, um, the other special educator who's in the room with me, um, she 
I think when we first started, she was kind of like, you know, are you treating them like dogs? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? And, and also like, well, don't give him the sticker because I had a student who was, um, his entrance into classrooms was a little big. He, he's a, a very high energy kid and he would come in and, you know, just <laughs> very joyful, but just sort of could derail a uh, classroom. And I, we, pre- we actually broke it down and practiced, you know, how to walk into the classroom. And, and he, if he could walk in, you know, just calmly, he could smile, he could say good morning, but the energy level had to be a certain way. So he practiced it. And if he did it the next day, he was going to get three stickers out of the basket. And he did, but he came late. And my colleague was like, he can't get the stickers. He's late. And I had to explain that we weren't, we weren't uh, building that behavior. We were just focusing on the entry. So what happened the day after he he came in and he did it. He walked on time. Uh, not no, the time. day. No, oh, the, the day, day after. after. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I don't. I don't recall. <laughs> okay. Well, you I must have been on time. on time. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't yeah. recall. <laughs> but it was interesting to discuss with her. Like, I'm really just focusing on that single loop, those mm. specific behaviors, and we can't add another condition to it, especially mm. retroactively, and then take yeah. the students mm. away. And that was really hard for her. But just just recently, she. She is just so on board. She is like infected with the <laughs> positive contagion of uh, a positive reinforcement. She uh, she came out of her room on Friday. Her office is right by my classroom. She came in and she was like, I just, I love this. We're having so much fun. <laughs> she's like, this is great. And she's actually going to be teaching a college level course uh, starting in the new year. And she's going to try to use positive reinforcement in that class. And that's to to educators. So so Alex, the ripple effect that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about talk to us about the coaching uh, that you do with uh, Claire's students, because I think that's a really important part of this. Yeah, it's huge. so uh, through Science Camp, Camp, I got connected to um, Dr. Claire St. Pierre, and she has two of her students who are, um, they're doctors as well, yeah. and they're teaching um, in college settings. And I, so, so Claire just connected us through an email, and they were excited that I wanted to do this. And they said, let's meet once a week via Zoom and um, they're collecting data on me because they're coaching me. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting all the levels of learning taking place. Um, so they're, I'm sort of a a research, research subject for them as, you know, how are they impacting the educator? And Mm -hmm. then I, and they're teaching me how to collect data and design interventions in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, for my students, but the the coaching piece has been invaluable. So so once a week during the school day, we zoom and we just talk about like what you know what techniques or what principles am I applying, and we're also trying to do some you know experimental design. So we're also trying to measure the effectiveness of the environment on the students because I'd like to be able to show the the building administrators, like, 
look, we have a measurable impact on, on the outcomes for these students and let's let's replicate this. Let's mm -hmm. let's train teachers and let's let's do this. So I'm learning a lot about you know the, the design um, process and and they they bail me out when, <laughs> when, <laughs> when things aren't quite working. They'll say, hmm, I wonder if you tried this and and it's been amazing to have two other sets of eyes. And I, I noticed them, you know, reinforcing me too. They'll, they're really mindful about applying the principles as well. So they'll say, let's just take a moment and stop and appreciate, you know, that, that win. So wow. it, I don't, I don't know that I would, yeah, I, I wouldn't be making as much progress and, and making as much headway in, you know, in the classroom and the design without them. You know, I, the last time I was catching up with Alex and Claire, Claire mentioned mentioned that that coaching piece is just it's, you know, it's just absolutely priceless. Yes. I just don't think you could do it without it. It's it's very interesting. I find that when we have models, and we don't have that many of people who are positive reinforcers. It's very precious because we don't get to see a lot of it in action. You know, we read about it, but, you know, once in a while, there are people around us like Dr. Susan Friedman, who you see in action applying these things, you know, in all kinds of conditions. And, it, <laughs> it's, and you learn from it. You learn from seeing it done to you <laughs> and to others. We need, yeah. we need models like that. We need to see this in action. Sorry about the interruption. There's no good place to break into this conversation. We talked in all for about two hours. That's much too long for one podcast. So I've arbitrarily decided to stop it here for now. If you're a parent, you may be thinking, I wish this success-oriented focus was the norm for all children. And I wish Lucy could be teaching my children. And if you have horses, I suspect the wheels are turning and you are seeing the many connections to training. That's what I love about this work. It's a big umbrella that covers a huge diversity of topics. One week we can be talking about pasture management and the next classroom management. Everything is connected to everything else. Certainly, constructional training approaches are relevant to both horse training and classroom teaching. What we learn in one setting transfers to many others. So next week, we'll continue on with this conversation. And as always, if you want to learn more about Science Camp and the virtual clinics, please visit my website, theclickercenter.com. Happy New Year, everyone. Stay safe, stay well, and have fun with your horses.